Welcome to the Han Jam Rancho, the audacious podcast by Hannah Rankin. I am your host, Hannah Rankin, and I interview guests who have made bold moves to create positive change, be that personally or societally. My guests are collectively from a plethora of diverse backgrounds, and together we discuss a vast array of topics. If it is empowering and audacious, you will find it here on the Hanjam Ran Show. Before we dive in today, I would like to offer a trigger warning as today's episode is about grief. We will be discussing suicide, death and loss, so please proceed with caution. If you or anyone you know is suffering from depression or suicidal ideations, please consider calling the Samaritans or contacting them via their website, which is samaritans.org. There are many different types of grief. We can grieve the loss of an opportunity, a period of time that has now passed, or the ending of a relationship. As people, we seem to have difficulty with endings. Change can be hard, growing is said to cause pain, but a permanent conclusion appears to me to be the most excruciating of all. In certain iterations, the sadness that ensues can evolve, transform and even cease. However, there is one type of grief, one form of loss, that I'm not sure ever evaporates. It twists and turns within the pit of our stomach and transforms itself to present a fresh batch of symptoms, sometimes leaving the others in the past, sometimes just adding to the pile of difficulty. This is the loss of life, grieving death. Today I'm going to share my personal experience of grief and discuss with a dear friend of mine, Holly, about how it has presented itself in our lives as I believe there are underlying commonalities, even if there are different surface level appearances. The goal of this episode is to offer the opportunity for connection. If you or someone you love is in the midst of all-consuming grief or is feeling like these emotions have isolated you, My message is that you are not alone. We see you, we feel it with you, and very simply, we get it. You don't have to force yourself to be okay for the next hour, at least not for us. big topic um so we're going to broach this very carefully and gently um but kind of to kick us off I wonder so so just for the context Holly and I both have had an experience of grief or loss that we consider to be the biggest in in a sense like it was a really big grief for us and we're going to discuss our experience with that particular process of grieving but to start, Holes, have you ever experienced grief or loss before the loss that we're referring to today? I hadn't. Like, my mum's dad died, so my grandpa, but he lived in Australia, um, and we spent a lot of time with him when I was really young, so, like, every Christmas we would go out to Australia, hang out with my mum's parents, um, but we stopped doing that when I was about 16, 
and I think he died when I was about 18 or 19 so I hadn't seen him in about three years mm. I didn't speak to him on the phone very often and while I loved him a lot him dying didn't really impact my life in any tangible way yeah there's no absence day to day no yeah. nothing um and we I remember his like funeral was just like our very close family but he'd been cremated and was like in this little plastic box and then scattering the ashes to me all I can really remember is the fact that the box was welded shut and we couldn't get it open <laughs> yeah and it was like kind of like slapstick comedy yeah. so it like pulled all the sadness out of it um and it was during the time of my life when I was like a really awful teenager like I feel like everybody between the ages of like 15 to about 19 is a complete fucking arsehole <laughs> so I was so self-involved anyway that I don't really think that even if I had been able to compute how big that loss was for my family and for myself I don't really think that I would have reacted to it the way that I've reacted to grief now just because my priorities were so like skewed mm. yeah I I actually almost had a ditto experience in my Australian grandfather <laughs> passed when I was Mm, I want to say like 18. So in the arsehole. Yeah. Arsehole. <laughs> but, and I saw him the year prior because he came over for mum's 50th or yeah, fairly recently. Um, but my granddad was like, I had him on a massive pedestal. He was, he's the reason why I wanted to move to Australia since I was a kid. And basically he let me get away with murder and thought it was all endearing. So he would like, defend me to my grandma and my mom saying that I didn't need to do any chores because <laughs> Hannah worked really hard at school this year so she like let her rest and um he was just he was he was quite besotted with me and I felt it like it was kind of my I, I would always say if if you could physically see love that was the closest I got to being able to physically see it was how I felt in his presence um so I did feel that loss, but again, it was different because there wasn't any change in my day-to-day -day experience. Yeah. I think I was also grieving for my mum's loss. Yeah. Um, Rather than your own. Yeah. And same with an uncle who passed away. I was more sad for my mum than I mm. was for me. Um, and then actually six months prior to the death of my friend, that was the context for this conversation. Um a fairly new friend passed away and I met her when she had terminal cancer and it was really sad. It was really sad and I got to be with her through the end, the very end. Um, and it did affect me, but it was, I was one removed enough that for me it was quite a spiritual learning. Mm. So she was a very spiritual woman and she talked to me like, on her metaphorical deathbed yeah. about her understanding of going from this world to the next um and when she passed like I felt it was my first sort of connection to my to my spiritual understanding of death yeah um and again I was very close with her I'm very close with her wife and it was my sadness is very much for Julia um yeah because she lost like the most important person in her life. I also feel like both of the people that we lost were so young. Yeah. When somebody is so young, it just feels so much more unjust and it makes yeah. the pain of it so much worse. You feel robbed. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what Charlie said about himself. Because mm. yeah, 30 is just not an not age that anybody should die. No. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, what was the most frustrating or difficult thing for you in the first throes of grief? I think just that it was so difficult to get people to understand because who we're talking about is my was my boyfriend. Um, and his death was very difficult because he was so deeply loved by a lot of people um, and there was a lot of like struggle for who was the most important right um, and he was he's from Manchester I was from London um, and I was up there staying in like one of our friends houses not with him um, which was the choice of his family um, and a lot of their choices which were best for their grief and their situation really negatively impacted on me. Mm. Um, so I felt quite alone in it for the first, I guess I've, I've only really gotten over that in the last like six months, but that initially was so difficult for me to handle because he was dying of cancer um, and he got the news and died within like th a three week period. Um, Got the news of his illness or got the no, news? No, 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 got the illness. That we, he, he was ill throughout our whole relationship. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he got, the, he got the news on, like, the 6th of September 2019 and then died on the 21st. Um, so that whole period was just, it was indescribable how, like, yeah. emotionally charged it was. Um, and, yeah, they they wanted to be like a family unit which absolutely makes sense um but within that like there wasn't really any space for me and I just felt very alone mm. and then it was hard to find the same support that I thought that I was going to get from his family for anybody else because nobody was going through anything of the same kind of volume of grief if that makes yeah. sense yeah um so yeah just like looking for validation I guess I, th I think the term is like you need somebody to bear witness to it mm. I didn't have any of that yeah. so that to me was really really hard yeah again a slightly different version of what you experienced in that so it was my best friend that died and this is so weird because different sides of the world and different relationships like best friend boyfriend still very prominent people in our lives but different platonic and romantic love and um there was some degree of build-up to charlie's passing benjamin committed suicide without any of us understanding that that's where his head was at very just like you know such a jolt such a shock and yet their passing dates are five days apart which i find just really curious and also i guess it makes me feel less alone here because we're on fairly similar like obviously it's unique to everyone but we've had fairly similar like arcs of our of our grief but because Benjamin died in Sydney and I was here um I did I could like I didn't have the shutting out I felt very included by his family and his friends there but I wasn't there and so to start with and I did go but when I got back I felt that real like you guys here don't get it you yeah. just do not get it and you won't and you can't yeah and it wasn't for anyone's fault but I was mad about that as well like yeah. almost felt like I was justifying the you know enormity of my grief yeah which I 
yeah, we shouldn't have to expend that energy. Yeah, well, I feel like that is a huge part of it, that you feel like nobody understands it because the world just keeps moving on around you and you want to, like, shout at it to be like, stop, this huge yeah. thing's happened. Yeah. And I don't want to have to think about going to uni in a week. Like, yeah. I don't want to go, can you just wait until I'm ready because I'm not at the moment. Yeah. Like, no, I don't want to think about that social engagement that's happening in three weeks' time. Can you just put it off until yeah. I'm ready? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so... As is the general format, we're going to go through five audacious points about grief. So like that grief has the audacity to present itself. Um, The first one is discussing, I guess, the honesty we have both with ourselves and with others about our emotional reactions. So the first point I want to discuss or ask you is what did you say to people when they asked, are you okay? Um, well, it depends on the day because some days I am okay and I can say I'm all right today, honestly. And then some days I say today I'm awful. Well, I guess that is what it is. I always reference how I feel that day in that moment. Uh, but you're honest. Yeah, always honest. Always, Love that. always, always. Because, I don't know, I feel like if somebody's care enough to ask they mm. should be given the like the honest answer mm. and when I say that I'm not okay I don't want people to feel like they need to fix that yeah and be like okay well like, how can I make you feel better because you can't yeah all I want from people when I say honestly today I'm not okay is like all right do you need anything from me I'm sorry that you're feeling that way can I call you do you ever do you feel like when you say no to that question do you ever feel like it's sort of this big lump that then just sits on the table and the other person just feels really awkward and doesn't know what to what do you mean if you say no like if they say are you okay and you're like no i'm not okay well it depends it depends on the person and also like it the i don't think that the i don't think that you should be concerned about how they feel with your grief and your feelings like if they're your friend and you've said I don't feel okay and that's made them feel uncomfortable I think if they love you enough they'll be like right okay I need to work through this and try and find out how I can help Mm. if I can help or if she just wants me to just sit with her yeah like I have one friend who just wasn't able to handle it um and said to me I just feel like I'm saying the wrong thing to you all the time I can't really help in this situation. I feel anxious when I talk to you because I'm scared that I'm going to trigger you. So I just think that we should just take a break from each other. And she was right. We did have to for like six months. I talk to her again now, but I know that she's not able to support me in like the way that I need. That's quite incredible awareness, even though it's like, there's probably a side of it that you feel, or maybe maybe you feel disappointed. I think that's quite brave of her to acknowledge yeah. well I don't I don't really know how she like reached the decision but she it wasn't that she wasn't trying to understand I think that she just couldn't yeah. like I remember one day I posted something on my Instagram which made it very obvious that I was in a really bad bad way and was really sad and she replied to it talking about herself and I just reacted so badly and was like, why would you tell me about your own feelings right now? Like, this is not about you. I don't care. Talk to somebody else about it. Mm. And she replied saying, I understand that you're dealing with 
this grief but everybody else has got their own issues too and it's not a competition mm. and I read it and just thought oh fuck off I've got mm. can I swear on there yeah, yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I remember thinking like. like yes it's not a competition but if it was I would fucking win yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I get that and do you feel like you were able to be honest with yourself about what you're experiencing well I don't think at the time I really realised that it, that's what it was because that, now was that anger yes yeah, yeah. so angry and now now like so charlie died a, just over a year ago and now now with hindsight i can see how angry i was but at the time i had absolutely no idea no idea yeah and i don't think i think if somebody tried to point it out to me i think that would have just made me even angrier yeah i was very aware of my anger really I, it was it was my dominant emotional reaction and that's so interesting do you have a therapist no. or do you talk to other people about it I do and I have uh, it's funny because I knew Benjamin's like I, I met Benjamin a handful of years ago mm. and he's got like his lifelong friends mm. and I've met them a, a load of times birthdays yeah. you know whatever and there's a reason why we were all his friends like we had lots in common it was a very easy dynamic to become uh to feel at home in um and they were incredible at including me in sort of the inner circle of the grief um and it was an honor um so i i had great support and i was able to like we had a group chat (laughs) for one um but also reach out to them on -on one-on-one and say i'm experiencing this are you yeah and my anger was at Benjamin yeah I was fucking fuming because he was due to come here to London 17 days after he died Mm. and we've been gearing up for it for like a year it was getting closer and closer um I was so excited I'd found a new place to live um, which I was moving in the day before and I had checked with the new housemates and they were like of course he sounds amazing like can't wait to meet your Aussie friend and I said to Benjamin we call him the plant daddy because he was just really green fingered and amazing with plants and I was like plant daddy you're gonna fix my room up with loads of life and we're gonna decorate it together and I was just so excited like, I was gonna be sharing a bed with him my best friend for seven nights yeah. and it was my birthday over while he was here I was just so excited and it was what all I was thinking about and it's not I'm not saying I was angry because he wasn't excited <laughs> I know he was but it was that my okay what my anger was was if you'd waited for 17 days I would have fixed it yeah and I couldn't I couldn't fix what he was going through but that yeah. was what I kept feeling was like fucking 17 days and I would have held you I would have carried whatever pain I would have taken it from you like I would have given you a cuddle and I would have transmitted the pain from your heart into mine and I would have carried it I would have taken it for you and I'm like why didn't you wait why didn't you fucking wait and also why didn't you tell me it was that bad and then and then you go well I went into an abyss of well maybe he tried to maybe you didn't hear it or you were busy at work that day and couldn't stay on the line to him um he called me a few days before and I I answered but I was like it's really busy at work like I couldn't I was sort of one foot in one foot out of the conversation and said I'll talk to you again later yeah and then we were messaging straight after and he he seemed so chill like he was in the park walking his dogs which is his favorite thing to do um and then I was actually in Paris when he died 
I'd had I was, for work it was uh, Paris Fashion Week and it was the worst fucking work trip I've ever been on did they not let you leave? I did leave no they were fine with that but um, my boss was very stressed very high intense time of year for her and she had screamed at me for like I'm not joking she screamed at me for an hour as when I walked in the door to arrive to the apartment and we were staying in together she screamed at me for an hour I'm like a big grown up 28 year old at this point and I was crying to the point I couldn't breathe and she just kept on going it was shit the next day I worked for 14 hours well she like she worked too but then she went out for a nice dinner and drinks in Paris and I'm there on my laptop till like literally till half midnight I went to sleep woke up at 5 30 probably with anxiety (laughs) and had a message from a mutual friend but one of uh, Benjamin's best friend saying can you call me and I was like weird what did you think when you got that message did you, did you think that that's what it could be no really I, I called him and I was like you're right like I think because we're all in recovery I think I thought oh fuck has someone relapsed yeah and this friend as soon as I got on the line he just goes Benjamin's not with us anymore and I went yeah he is <laughs> because I he messaged me 12 hours before saying I love you and I replied saying I love you so much and he read it and I was like what are you talking about I just laughed and I was like yeah he is oh my god that's so heartbroken and then he explained and like I mean I won't go into that but like the wheels came off and I just left but I was really angry that I wasn't at home I was yeah. angry that I wasn't in Australia. I was angry that That sounds my like boss... guilt more than anger than anything, though. It was really vicious. A, a vicious emotion, though. Mm. And I was pissed, like, at my boss for treating me badly in the days prior. Like, mm. I was angry at the fucking world. Couldn't get a taxi. Like, literally, just to paint a picture, that I yeah. leave the apartment. It's, like, 7am. I got my wheelie bag trying to get a taxi to get to the Eurostar. I know that feeling. You're like, did you just fucking do what I need my person's just died yeah fuck off like why yeah. am I making this worse on purpose literally <laughs> I walked for 40 minutes around Paris like crying Rage literally crying. something out of a movie trying to get a taxi could not get a fucking taxi finally got one and I was already like close to God and all by that point <laughs> anyway um okay quite a tangent but yeah I was gonna add on this about the journey or range of emotions through grief and I think it has for me, it has the range in itself of the emotions has shifted from first six months to now being a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in those sorts of those sort of chapters along the way, there's mini ranges. So yeah. like the anger, but then also like the bartering, <laughs> the like I'll give you me if I can yeah. swap or like you know. Do you know I had that with someone really hilarious. I was thinking about this the other day, like. I think it was probably about a month after Charlie died. I was just in my kitchen in my family home. And there was a cookbook out of Jamie Oliver. And I had an internal rant about Jamie Oliver. Like, how dare you have this successful life, TV shows, children. Fuck you, Jamie Oliver. Living <laughs> your normal life. Were you ready to, like, sacrifice Jamie? I was so furious. So, so angry. And then I remember I went out, like, the first night out I had... was I thinking... January, so like quite a long time afterwards, and I walked into you know Mercato Metropolitano in Elephant yes. Castle. Walked in there, so many people. There was a DJ. Everyone was just having a really nice time. 
I just burst into tears because I just couldn't believe that all these people were living their normal, happy lives, no problems, none of them were dead. And I was just so, so annoyed and so yeah. upset. Yeah, like, why you? Why, yeah. why not also, you? Why my loved one? Yeah, and in the same, like, bucket of, like, how dare you? Like, yeah. do, do you not know this huge thing has happened? Yeah. Like, get your happiness away from me. I went yeah. home quite soon after I got there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I cried and left. <laughs> Fair. Um... Okay, the audacious point of grief number two that I have pulled out is a feeling of isolation in your grief. Yeah, well, I've, I've mentioned that already, and that is that's something that I feel particularly because Charlie was my boyfriend, and mm. nobody that I know that knew him had that really had that relationship with him, obviously, um, and we were like best 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 friends he was yeah, like oh no no I'm gonna cry <sighs> damn it <laughs> like actually getting into it is like wow there are so many different details but so many similarities yeah well, I think that's the same with most people that have been through grief because I listen to grief cast quite a lot um and it's like so interesting when people talk about their granddad mm. and they've got the same kind of things as me yeah yeah because it's, it's so different I think I can talk now yeah he was my best friend he was like my entire world um and the only people who would have had like a similar level of loss to me were his family and they were the people that didn't really want to talk to me yeah um and I remember speaking to one of mine and Charlie's friends about it and just saying that I feel really alone um and he is quite like a spiritual person mm. and he said well you are alone in it so he said that it doesn't matter if you've got thousands of people to speak to about it or nobody like nobody is going to experience grief the same way as you no matter who you've lost and he mm. was saying my grief is going to be totally different too and then mentioned another one of our friends and that made me feel quite a lot better about it because I guess what he was saying is just like everybody's grief is so different even if you spend hours explaining how you feel to somebody they're never going to fully get it mm. so that kind of made me stop wanting this not support but just like acknowledgement unity from people. yeah it made me stop wanting it like it made me accept it more as a personal journey for me to go on and not something that I needed other people to acknowledge and recognize I guess to validate it mm. um because I think that is a lot of what I was doing in like the first like couple of months with being so upset about his family and like not being asked if I wanted to say anything at the funeral and all this kind of stuff I think it was just needing people to validate how big my loss was mm. um and after I had this that conversation with him that made me think I didn't need that yeah. at all. Yeah, I felt... I felt like my friends 
wanted to do what they wanted to do the right thing by me in my grief here like my London friends um but like I don't know that there is anything to be done from their like from their role in my life I do remember actually something quite interesting was that I was obsessed with talking to my friends in Sydney that knew Benjamin like Mm. day in day out all the time I just wanted to be connected yeah um I think it helps you like I think it makes you feel like that person's still alive yeah and like if you can like keep what your life was like when they were there going yeah then it's not as painful and maybe it hasn't happened I don't know I think that's why I was so obsessed with keeping in contact with his family and like keeping mm. involved in it because it's like I don't think I wanted to accept that there was no reason for me to not be if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah I think my experience was that he didn't exist in the world that I operate in here mm. he'd never been here he'd been to London before but not while I was there not yeah. while we were friends so they didn't have a Benjamin-shaped hole here in London. Mm. Whereas in Sydney, his loss was felt across the city, you know? And so I wanted to be a part of that world where his loss was acknowledged. Like, the fact that Benjamin wasn't there anymore was a huge loss to all of us. Yeah. Um, And it was that validation of... Yeah. um, I guess, like... Yeah. Yeah, I guess the only way I'm saying it is the loss. Yeah. The magnitude of it. Um, so I did, I felt very alone because of the distance. Mm. Um, and I did, you know, as I mentioned earlier, and I got to go back. the time difference as well. Like, it's not even like you could ring up one of those people. <laughs> well, you know what? Because people were grieving, they were like up, sleeping at random times, you know, up late. <laughs> bring them in the middle of the Yeah, time. I would talk to them. And I, I remember a lot to saying to his best friends, are you feeling this? I'm feeling this. Are you feeling this? And they'd be like, yes, Hannah, I'm feeling that. Not in an exasperated way, but like in a, you're not mad. Yeah. You're not crazy. It's okay. I feel the same way too. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I'm not a bad friend for being fucking fuming at him. Mm. And like, no, we're pissed off too. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, did he not realize how much we loved him? And they're like, no, no, no. He knew, he knew. And he, he left a note and he said in it that he knew. Mm. And they had to keep like reassuring me as I did to them. Like we held each other's hands mm. through that. Um, so I felt ve- I felt like my grief was very, very seen yeah. by my Benjamin crew. But, and I'm really sorry for you that you didn't have that because it was a help to me. But here, which is where I was, I felt fucking like the only person in the world that yeah. had ever lost anyone and no one could fathom what was going on in my heart. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Oh, um okay so part of the isolation point i am really curious about our friends capacity to support and do you feel that your friends that don't have a direct relationship with charlie like they he was your boyfriend to them do you feel like they've been able to understand what you're going through and support you yes because well, he was, like, my boyfriend then. They all spent a lot of time around him. And they all saw how important our relationship was. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you could see... I only hung out with you twice together. 
but you could see it mm-hmm. you could see the magnitude of your love and as a friend it was quite scary because as you said <laughs> he was ill when you met and I was like I could see it and I was like oh my god I don't know I don't even know how this goes yeah people used to stop us in the street and say like it's so amazing to see two people so in love wow well it happened like four times um, wow I know <laughs> um so yeah all my all my friends firstly knew him and he was just like well, you knew him he was just like an amazing person like everybody that met him like wanted to be his friend and hang out yeah. with him and talk to him um, so they all loved him anyway, but then they also knew how much we loved each other. Um, so I don't think that the fact that to them he was like their like kind of friend, and then my boyfriend rather than rather than their own like friend mm. made it that much of a difference um, because they could all see like how huge the loss was for me. Mm. Um, and I think only one of them has ever experienced like a big loss as part of her family. God, I hope I'm not missing anybody or else I feel really <laughs> awful when I listen to this back. Um, but everybody has just tried so hard just to learn how to support me through it. Um, and they're all they're all just very good with accepting that they're not always going to get it right. So yeah. I, I can say to them, like, you've said the wrong thing here. Um, and this has triggered me. Like, I'm upset. got to say, you and your friends are very good communicators. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I wouldn't even say it's me consciously trying to communicate. My One of my friends will say something. Well, this is in, like, the early, like, six months phases of it. One of my friends would say something and it would just immediately piss me off and it would be that anger <laughs> that would come out. It wouldn't be me trying to help them help me better. <laughs> it would be me being a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I don't want to hear that. Like, this this isn't helpful. Try again. Yeah. And instead of them being like, right, okay, I can't be asked with this, they would just take a step back and internalise it. And then next time I came to them with something, they would know how to respond better. Yeah. Um, and it's been a, a year now and I know that I can say to any of my closest friends who I speak to about it a lot, I feel sad today. Mm. And I said this to my best friend Zoe like the, at the start of this week. About this time last week I was having a really, really shit day and I was talking to my friend and I said I'm having a really shit day and she knew that what would make me feel better would be for her to see me and us to hang out. So yeah. instead of just saying, oh, I'm sorry, or like, do you want me to call you? Or like, what's making you sad? She just said, come over. Yeah. And she's got a dog and she was like, we'll go for a really long dog walk. I'll make us lunch. Yeah. And like, as soon as I got that message, stop crying. Yeah. And then ended up having a nice day. Yeah. Yeah, that's really special. I think it is just like a learning curve for everyone that's involved in it. Like yeah. It's a learning curve for you and I. Mm. I and do think it's interesting. Help. Yeah, they, uh, and that's the thing to... <laughs> To remind ourselves of is that everyone's only trying to do their best yeah. and they're trying to be nice yeah i definitely had resentments at the time and in those first six months yeah, I, mean. I, I fell out with my best friend for two months yeah because she was trying to talk to me about her breakup and i was trying to be there for her because she's my best friend 
and I didn't realize that it was upsetting me until one day it just like exploded out and I was like I don't care about this <laughs> he's still alive <laughs> you can get back with him if you want blah yeah. blah I can't really remember the conversation but I just remember being like I've had enough of you and I blocked her mm. <laughs> and it was like uh, just the beginning of lockdown <laughs> oh <laughs> and this is the thing is like this, what we're talking about is a very specific type of grief mm. because you do grieve when, after a breakup that yeah. is that is a form of grief yeah you and it was a huge relationship with her and it was so valid like everything that she was saying was really like really important and she needed me yeah but I just didn't have it in my locker at that time yeah because grief it's just it's so like all-consuming yeah and I think that when I used to get angry in it it would just be like a wall of just rage and I wouldn't be able to see the impact of that around it because all I cared about was the fact that Charlie was dead and I was angry about that and the fact that anybody else could be trying to talk to me about anything else that was bothering them in their life just pissed me off Mm. yeah yeah I get that I spent six months on my bedroom floor sobbing thinking my bloody heart was gonna vomit out of my throat because Mm -hmm. I was heaving and so sad just so sad yeah I wanted to be alone like I felt like I was with B when I was that morose like yeah I was connected to him through my grief and then my other thing was peripheral people in my life like I don't know <laughs> just like not someone that I was close like, with C-less friends yeah and then just saying fucking Shits from an Instagram quote yeah. or from Honestly, a grief card. Honestly, the Instagram quotes, get them away from me. Like, like Nobody wants to hear these platitudes at yes, all. Yes, exactly. Platitudes is a much more eloquent way of describing them. And I just... Time honestly wanted to like... No, it doesn't. Heads but them. <laughs> just like, not helping Craig. Like, fuck off, Craig. <laughs> just, I don't know anyone called Craig, but... <laughs> um, yeah, and, oh, and then I was like, just be polite Hannah be polite or set a boundary like just tell them you need to stay, step back from this conversation or whatever um but yeah but I do think lot. that that is helpful when people are trying to help you when you're grieving I think that it's good for them if you say I need to set a boundary here or like I need to step back from this conversation or this isn't helping because then they, then they know mm. like I don't think that being polite and being like thank you thank you for yeah. your words yeah is constructive because then they'll keep doing it yeah. I don't want to receive an Instagram quote from somebody every week so if they sent it to me two weeks in a row I'm going to tell them to stop yeah not like yeah. it and hope that they don't do it again <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't I don't think I communicated my needs very well to my friends mm. well that, um, that's that's something that I guess like I understood before that it would be something that was this difficult to navigate and that it would impact so many people Mm. like I had absolutely no idea because I'd never seen it never I didn't know anything about it even though I knew it was going to happen to me I I don't know I just I I had absolutely no idea of how enormous it would be Mm. and it is it fucking saturates every morsel of your being every every interaction that you have with somebody and you're just like you're behind a screen mm. you're like I'm here but I'm a- I'm actually not here yeah. sorry I'm in grief yeah so like completely yeah and then um, people can be speaking to you about something completely irrelevant and 
yeah, that I, I found that when people were trying to like, talk to me about normal things that were happening in their life, I just wanted to shout at them, like, I don't care. Mm. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because... Or I just be like, I can't, I, in my head, I'd be like, I can't hear, what, what did they say? Like, I can't hear them. Mm. All I can hear is my sobbing in my brain. Um, okay, audacious point three. Did you have a pre-existing spiritual or religious understanding of life after death or of the, of the, of the, the process of dying and being dead? Or did your experience in such close proximity to death um, create a spiritual understanding? Or was yeah, was spirituality something that's helped you? Or is that like not something that you've connected with? I wouldn't say it's something that I've connected with that much. Like there's been two times where I've def well, I have felt like I've felt Charlie with me. Um but he was vehemently against there being any kind of afterlife. Really? Yeah, so... But then he, he used to say that before he got really sick. And then, like, towards the end, he said to me, if you ever feel like I'm with you, it's because I am. So I don't know which, which, of, which of those opinions of his, like, I subscribe to the most. But I think that it's something that can be really helpful for some people. Like, I don't know. It's not, it's not like a huge thing that I think mm. about. With my friend who I spent time with when she was very, very close to the end, this woman came into the room that uh, my friend was in. Um, she was in a hospice uh, and, uh, you know, in palliative care. And this woman came in who was going around to talk to people who were dying to say, do you have faith? Um, and at first I thought she was like, no disrespect, but I thought she was like a Jehovah's Witness or she was someone trying to like <laughs> get another member, you know, of whatever domination, denomination she was a part of. And Mormon. yeah, I like literally, my back was up. I was, I stood up ready to be... <laughs> defense like a soldier called arms and then I realized actually she was there to be a sounding board for these people to hypothesize if that's what they needed and to mm -hmm. bring any comfort that she could through posing the possibility of a spiritual conclusion to that to this life and what was really interesting is that um Leslie had really strong faith and it, it's not religious it's pure it's 100 spiritual um she's an indigenous woman from new zealand so i feel i felt that it was part of her blood mm. um and she described her faith to this woman and i when when that conversation started happening i suddenly felt i don't deserve to be witness to this yeah like it was, it was so hard to describe because I came into her and her wife's life, you know, in the last 10 months of Leslie being alive. So I felt like this hanger on. Yeah. Like, you guys should spend all your time together. Like, forget about me. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, they took me under their wings, both of them, and allowed me in throughout that time and you know julia and i are incredibly close to this day 
Um, but it was just, the only way I can describe it is just this huge, huge honor. But to hear someone who I admire, respect and love and just am in awe of talk about her understanding of dying as she was dying. I think she was like 10 days from the day she died at this point. And she talked about her faith and she, to summarize, really simply said, God is love. And when I pass on, I will be with love. And that's really, she just said it so simply, but so beautifully. I can't, I cannot do it justice, but she just, she had this enormous peace within herself. She was really, really sad to leave her wife with, without her. Like, and to hear her talk about it was a fucking, the biggest honour. And then six months later when Benjamin died, I, so when I got back to London on the Eurostar, I had like an hour and a half taxi ride in central London traffic getting back home. All I wanted to do was get into my bedroom so I could just cry in privacy. Mm. Um, and I called my spiritual mentor and she talked to me for that hour and a half the whole way. And she talked about God is love. And it's like, she was describing it as this, this place that we can't fathom. We cannot get our head around this magnitude of love. And that's, it's not God's like man with white beard and, and stick. It's like, it just is this place that is pure and it's goodness and it's just peace. And that all of their pain is now relieved whether it's the pain of being ill whether it's the pain of being having heartbreak the pain that Benjamin was in emotionally and spiritually like all of that is relieved and so he's in a place where he's not hurting anymore and he must have been hurting so much to choose to leave this world and I I guess all of my experiences with death, whether it's my granddad, my uncle, Leslie or Benjamin, actually not Benjamin, everyone up until Benjamin had shown me in some way that it was true, what she was saying, that it was this place of love that they were going to. And I think, yeah, hearing it from Les really helped me as well to believe it with Benjamin. And that was like the only thing that I could console myself with was that I was being selfish to still want him here because he now wasn't in pain and he must have been in really fucking bad pain so my selfless rationalization was he's in the best place now and I if I didn't have if I didn't have that belief and you know spiritual mentors in my life to remind me of that I honestly don't even know how I would have put one foot in front of the other because yeah it was like and I'd have to remind myself every fucking day like I don't know about you but for me I had one place where I let I used to scream and cry and it was when I was driving (laughs) probably not very safe yeah I I have a Benjamin playlist and it was all this music that he sent me and it's all really fucking emotional (laughs) because Benjamin and I would put this playlist on and 
let the tears hang free mm-hmm. and fucking scream. I'd scream at him. I'd scream at God. I'd scream at myself. Just let all the rage and the melancholy just exist as abundantly as it needed to come out of me. Yeah, and driving to nowhere as well. Yeah, just That's what fuck, I like in just the dark, yeah. in the rain, just yeah. be as morose as can be. Um, and I'd get out of the car and like, <laughs> I don't know, just... Realised, yeah, exhausted. <laughs> Realised, I'd have to climb the stairs to go yes. upstairs. <laughs> that um, was such a huge thing, I think, at the beginning part of it. The physical the, exhaustion. Yeah. Like, am I going to wash my hair? No, because that means I have to lift my arms up. Yeah. So I'm not doing it for another day. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 so I just constantly have to say to myself, like, you are being selfish. Mm. He chose to leave. Yeah. He wanted to leave. And then literally, I'd I'd say that to myself. And then the next one, it was just a constant argument in my brain of like, but he didn't need to. I had the solution. Why didn't he let me solve it? Like I could have fixed it all. And I know that's not true, but this was just the argument that was permanently going on in my head. Um, But yeah, for me, spirituality was, or faith, was fucking a huge, huge thing. his last week over and over so I would call them and be like so you so right so you saw him the day before he died what was he like and they would tell me 10 times they'd tell me that he bought a book the day before he died why would you buy a book if you weren't intending on reading it we would like you know investigate all these things and I needed to do that I need like there was no I was never going to get an answer I can't ask Benjamin but those people I could have those sort of (laughs) like hypotheses conversations with so yeah, like everyone brought a different thing to the table in a way. I guess that's why suicide's so difficult because you've just got so many questions. So many questions. But it's really interesting about the big love thing that you've just mentioned because that is exactly what Elizabeth Gilbert thinks. You know, the writer mm. that wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Mm. She lost her wife to pancreatic cancer. Mm. And I've listened to every podcast that exists where somebody is talking about losing their partner at an unjust age because Mm. when I first lost Charlie that was all I wanted somebody that could reflect my experience back at me and then I found out this about Elizabeth Gilbert never read Eat Pray Love not my cup of tea at all Mm. I was like right well now I'm going to find out every single thing that I can about her and how she dealt with this because maybe it will help me yeah and in one of her podcasts she talks exactly about what you just spoke about and she said that she thinks that her wife has gone to a place which is just the purest love and yeah. that makes her feel better yeah 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 I talked to Julia Leslie's wife about it a lot yeah it's so interesting because you and Julia both lost partners mm-hmm. and like I just honestly like my heart and my brain explode when I kind of try and imagine that I can't um but it's been huge comfort to me to have you both in my life. Like, there's just so many differences, but there's also so many similarities. Mm-hmm. And um, Julia and Leslie knew Benjamin. And so for Julia and I, who are like the two people that were left behind by our loves, um, we've, we were close anyway, but I think... It's brought you closer. It's been really nice because I knew Les and she knew Benjamin. Like, there's that context then, at least, yeah. of like, you know, I don't know. She gets to tell me about 
the way that Les used to dance and yeah. and I can imagine it and I can tell Julia how Benjamin used to sit on the balcony with me and drink <laughs> sparkling water and smoke cigarettes with me and she can picture that you know it's nice to have that sort of frame of reference I suppose yeah and I think it's like what you were saying earlier like despite losing people who were played such different parts in our lives mm. there are so many similarities within grief which mm. I didn't appreciate before like I just said that when Charlie first died I was, I was obsessed with only listening to people's stories of loss if it was to do with their partner yeah like I remember I'd look on Griefcast, that podcast that you mentioned and I would scroll through and look at the descriptions and if it was somebody talking about losing their granddad I would look at it and just think hey whatever like they were old they were your granddad they were supposed to die there is no yeah. injustice here I'm not interested yeah and I think that's just that anger coming through again. I could think, like, how dare you be annoyed about losing... Well, not annoyed. How dare you be talking about this hurt that you have for losing somebody at their natural time? Mm. That's not fair. And then now that I think that anger has dissipated a little, now I've started to listen to those episodes, and there are so many similarities. Like, the anger is the same, the sadness is the same, the guilt is the same. It's unique for each person but I think the foundations of it all are very similar yeah and I think that is really like a perfect description of why I wanted to do this episode was to say like the circumstances and the person will be different and will vary to no end Mm. but as isolating as grief can be you are connected to every single person that's ever grieved Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's just a really important point to communicate. Okay, the next audacious point is to talk about anniversaries. We I wrote, both had us. Yeah, we both just had <laughs> our one year. Actually, something we've been waiting to, to talk about, about people saying it gets better with time. Mm-hmm. And I think my fear of passing the one year mark was not only that it was fucking surreal to have lived on this planet for a year without him yeah which is just gross don't like thinking about that at all but also this assumption that like i'm fine now how was your anniversary experience i think the build-up to the actual day was worse than the day itself um i had so many things planned with friends because obviously we're in the middle of like a fucking pandemic at the mm-hmm. moment so it's difficult to do things um but my couple of my uni friends took me to Whitstable for the day and we like got drunk and ate oysters and spoke about him a little but not a lot mm. um and then I went to my other friend's house and Charlie's favorite thing to eat was McDonald's <laughs> <laughs> and I'm vegetarian but on that day, I decided, which is something I'm going to do every year, I'm going to eat a double cheeseburger because that was his favourite thing to get. <laughs> so I did that and had a sleepover with two of my best friends. And then the next, on the actual day, I went for dinner with um, mine and Charlie's like best friends. And up until that point, I'd been all right, like with my friends having a good time. I felt like it was kind of in the peripheral of my vision, but not like overwhelming me and then as soon as I saw all of his friends I just couldn't handle it Mm. because they were all well not all of them but just one of them was kind of leading the conversation that we were having at dinner and he was just being so normal and I was just sitting there thinking how are you not 
acknowledging who isn't here Mm. how are you not acknowledging why we're having this dinner why are you talking about your work so much like why do you care about that right now Mm. and that could have of course been of course have been his own coping mechanism Mm -hmm. because he didn't want to acknowledge all of those things and maybe he didn't want anybody else to be sad so maybe he was filling the silence with these stories so that everybody would have something else to think about but for me I just couldn't I couldn't even stay I think I was there for about an hour Mm. and then just ducked out and just text my friend saying look I, I had to go sorry and he was like no I completely get it I feel the same way as you do which was reassuring for me because when I was sitting there I felt like nobody nobody was wanting to talk about Charlie and that made me really angry yeah. um, and we were in um, in right, quite far north London because that's where Charlie and his friends all live and where he and I lived together for a bit and I had to get the train all the way back to Cobham in Surrey which is like oh. a 90 minute journey and I cried the entire way home I was so happy that I was wearing the pandemic mask because nobody could see <laughs> <laughs> and it was acting as a tissue oh, um, <laughs> and I had a Aid in my bag so as soon as I got off the train after all that crime I like ripped the mask off and was trying to like rehydrate myself yeah. and, like dehydrating myself from crying. God the crying headache is Oh my god it's unbelievable like the next day my friend texted me and she was asking how I was and I said that I've got an, an emotional hangover Yeah, yeah because yeah. I, that's the only way I could describe it like the headache was unbelievable and I didn't really feel like I could move um, but yeah, I think I had anxiety leading up till the actual day because I was just so, like, panicked about being busy. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. want to ever be by myself, sat thinking about it because I think that would make his absence even more noticeable or more inescapable, I don't know. So I was busy the entire time and that did help in distracting me from the inevitable. And then as soon as I had that dinner, then I just thought, no, mm. I can't put this off any longer. Mm. Um, but I don't think that it makes any difference in terms of the way that you feel. Yeah. The time heals all stuff doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, me neither. Um, I was talking to a friend who recently lost their dog. And when I was talking to her, I said, it doesn't get easier ever Mm. from what I understand so far. It will always be this painful and it will always be this heavy. But what does happen is that you figure out you can smile and mean it and have joy in your life simultaneously with your grief. Yeah. So it's not like it dissipates. And actually, I put on Instagram if anyone had any questions or um, aspects of grief that they wanted us to cover in this conversation. And one of them was, I lost my mom when I was a little girl and now they're a big grown adult and a mum for them of their their mum themselves and their grief still feels as raw as it did back then and people say time heals and I'm like I don't know I mean I've only had to deal with this for a year and a bit but I don't think it does I just think think... there's there's different stages in your life that will reawaken it and make it feel as painful as it was before like this girl that wrote in and said that she lost her mum and isn't mum herself obviously that would make it feel as painful as it was before because you're now a mum your child doesn't have its grandma you don't have your sounding board to speak to about and you might be more cognizant of the hole that's missing yeah like what you didn't have because you're able to give that to your kids anyway that's very specific um but yeah anniversary wise i did the opposite of you i 
which just shows there's no right or wrong. Like we all have our own ways of coping. Um, I cleared that whole weekend. I refused to make any plans. Um, the anniversary landed on a Saturday for me and sent my boyfriend out. He was up <laughs> in the house for the day. Um, and I shut the curtains in the lounge and I got out my Benjamin box and I put his picture and I've got a framed card that he wrote me and then I've got, this really upsets me, but I've got cards I wrote him and I obviously never wrote them with the intention of receiving them back. Mm. Ditto, I painted a portrait of him before I left Australia, which he asked me to do. He said, please will you do a portrait of me so I have a piece of you with me when you leave? And I did it and I have it back in my possession and I love to look at him in that way because he said to me that when he looks at the painting he thinks that he's okay he's an okay human and that he actually might be beautiful and to have given him that gift of being able to enlighten him on how beautiful he is was is is like the best gift I could have ever wished to have given him but I wish he still had that yeah and I wish it had that feeling had lasted longer because if he knew how great he was maybe he'd still be here so i get really upset when i look at the painting but at the same time i love to see him yeah um so i moved the painting into the lounge i had like yeah just all this stuff around me i lit candles and i sat and i just journaled i wrote about the first time i met him and how the beginning of our friendship formed um and then i did a zoom with australia and I literally, like I was saying to Holly before we started recording how sometimes I think I can talk about this to no end and not cry. Mm. And I've actually done pretty well today. Um, And sometimes I'll think that and then like the dam will open. It's it's like one tear comes, it's all over. Um, And I didn't think, I thought when I got up to the day, I was like, I'm going to have this really slow, calm, peaceful day where I'm just... Uh, in my own words I was going to hang out with Benjamin yeah um and then as I was writing yeah the wheels came off in terms of crying and then as soon as I got on the zoom I just couldn't fucking speak because it was like it was the way you must have felt at the dinner table of like yeah being with them and realizing that your person's not there when Mm. in a previous life you'd only be together with that person yeah exactly yeah so that was hard but I I um yeah I think what I learned from the anniversary day the way that I went through it was that it's really I I need to carve out time every now and then to let my grief be explicit in that way Mm -hmm. and it made me reflect on the way that grief is handled in different cultures but there's like celebration of all the people you've lost and it's not just a happy celebration like there's sadness too Mm. it's not masking the loss um but i feel like in western society i mean in 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 indigenous cultures they all have their unique ways of um yeah acknowledging the life that is no more but i feel like in western society we're just expected to have sort of a stiff upper lip and just like they're there (laughs) and now we carry on yeah and to teach myself it's okay to carve out time to not be okay in has been really important for me Mm. 
So I, for my last question, have any final words of advice to anyone struggling with grief? And then the question submitted was any words of advice for a friend trying to support someone with grief? I think if you're struggling with it or if you're experiencing it, it's just take it one day at a time. The way that you feel isn't going to be forever, which is what whenever I'm having a really, really dark day, that is the only thing that makes me feel better. That I know that in a few days time, I will be able to be happy and see my friends and have fun and I won't feel like my life is over and I will never be happy again. Mm. And then equally, in my early grief, whenever I was having a good day and I didn't feel like crying, I would feel guilty Mm. and think, why don't I, why aren't I feeling awful? I should be, this isn't right, I feel terrible about myself. And then equally, when those kind of days happen, just remember that that's not going to last either mm. <laughs> and that you will feel sad again. So what I do is when I'm having a good day, I try and make it a great day, take myself to see my friends, do things that I enjoy, try and be productive because on days that I am feeling really sad, I'm the complete opposite and will sit on the sofa all day and watch Sex in the City back to back or Drag Race episodes that I've seen 5,000 times, but I still find them funny. <laughs> so yeah taking it one day at a time no matter what you're feeling that day is what I would say to somebody that was experiencing grief Um, and then for somebody that's supporting somebody in grief just understand that any kind of negative reactions that you get to you offering support it's not personal Mm. and if you really love that person then just keep going back and keep trying because no matter how much they might be pushing you away or acting like they don't need you or they don't want your help, that isn't true. Mm. Like, you just have to keep trying. And I guess it's a learning curve for both the people that are grieving and the people that are supporting the person that's in grief. Yeah. Because I now understand how I can help my friends help me better because I understand my own emotions Mm. and can recognise when... I'm making things hard for them and how I can make it easier. And they now know how to support me because they've been having to work through it for the last year. Mm. It's just all a learning experience. Yeah, I think I think my two pieces of advice would be that if you're in the first throes of grief, just have faith that you will experience joy in conjunction with your grief one day. It's not like it doesn't go away but it doesn't it's not the primary emotion all of the time um and my advice for a friend is just to even if you don't have the right thing to say just to constantly remind them that you are there Mm. so I think that's what I was really craving was like I couldn't I couldn't go out I couldn't leave the house couldn't leave my bedroom floor it was like my safe space just like splat on the carpet mine's my bathroom floor cute cute um but I just almost would have appreciated and did appreciate when they came through just like messages saying like I get it I'm here Mm. you know when you're ready for a cup of tea with me I'll be there as always thank you so much for listening no doubt this is an extra poignant topic given COVID and all the loss we've seen globally this past 12 months. We're sending love to you all. And just a reminder to reach out if you are struggling with grief or depression and 
always, always remember you are not alone.